A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is a seminal break with Saudi Arabia. This is Republicans and Democrats rebuking both the current Saudi regime, but also this administration's policy towards Saudi Arabia. Welcome to Deconstructed. I'm Mehdi Hassan. Amazing. The United States Senate voted Wednesday afternoon to advance a resolution withdrawing all unauthorized U.S. military support for the Saudi-led war on Yemen, which has created, according to the UN, the world's worst humanitarian catastrophe and killed more than 50,000 people. Although it's technically only a procedural vote, it's a big deal. It's the first time ever a majority in either chamber of Congress has endorsed a bill which calls for an end to US involvement in the Yemen war, a war which would not be happening if it weren't for US involvement. One of my guests today, and we've got a few, was one of the key senators behind that anti-war resolution. I've just stepped out of the Senate chamber where we advance a resolution ending U.S. participation in the Yemen war by a big bipartisan majority. It is a watershed moment. It's the first time the Senate has ever moved forward a resolution under the War Powers Act to withdraw us from military activity overseas. That was Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut. So this week on Deconstructed, this is big. The Senate seems to have begun the process, finally, hooray, for ending the U.S. role in the war in Yemen. But what happens now? I want to kick off the show by telling you all about a little girl called Amal Hussein. A few weeks ago, my good friend Declan Walsh, foreign correspondent for the New York Times, went to Yemen with photographer Tyler Hicks. And together they documented the horrific human cost of that civil war, of that aerial bombardment by the Saudi-led coalition in a news report, in an article that rightly finally went viral. The images of starving, malnourished, emaciated children in Yemen. The results, not of a natural disaster, but of a man-made disaster. Those images caught the attention of millions of people around the world. And one story, one image that stood out from the rest to me and to many others was that of seven-year-old Amal, a little girl just a year older than my own daughter. Declan and Tyler found Amal in a hospital bed in Aslam, 90 miles northwest of the capital, Sana'a. She was lying on that bed with her mother, with nurses feeding her every two hours with milk. But she was vomiting all the time. She was suffering from diarrhea. And the doctor in charge was sitting by the bed. And when Declan and Tyler arrived, she tugged on the flaccid skin of Amal's stick-like arms, they wrote. And she said, look, no meat, only bones. Amal's mother was also sick, recovering from a bout of dengue fever that she had most likely got from mosquitoes that breed in the stagnant water of the refugee camp that she was living in with Amal and her other children. And that picture of Amal was shared around the world 
and provoked an impassioned response from New York Times readers who wrote into their paper expressing their sorrow and their horror and their outrage. They offered money to try and help the family. They wanted updates to see if Amal was getting any better. And yet, and yet, and yet, only a few days later, Declan Walsh was reporting that Amal had died in a ragged refugee camp four miles from that hospital. My heart is broken, said her mother, Mariam, who wept during a phone interview with Declan. Amal, she said, was always smiling. Now I'm worried for my other children. Amal, after all, was just one of 1.8 million severely malnourished children in Yemen today. This is a country where the number of people living on emergency rations, emergency food support, is around 8 million, but that could soon rise to 14 million people. Yemen, says the United Nations, is on the verge of a, quote, great big famine. And don't forget the cholera either. Last year, Yemen suffered the largest cholera epidemic of the modern era, more than a million cases recorded, the highest number of cholera cases recorded since records began. Cholera in Yemen. And this is not a natural disaster. This is a man-made disaster. This is a US-Saudi-made disaster. But maybe the focus on Yemen in recent weeks, since the brutal murder of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi inside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, has started to turn the tide. Maybe coverage of the deaths of innocent Yemenis, like Amal, has finally helped U.S. senators recognize that voting in favor of continued U.S. involvement in this war is madness, is morally grotesque, is self-defeating on so many levels. Amal in Arabic means hope. And this week of all weeks, with this Senate vote on Yemen on Wednesday, signaling a big political shift on that controversial and brutal war on U.S. relations with Saudi Arabia, given that vote... Maybe, just maybe, it's time to finally have hope. Yesterday, shortly after the vote, I spoke to Senator Chris Murphy, one of the big drivers behind this Senate resolution, and a man who's been campaigning against US involvement in the Yemen war for several years now, even back under the Obama administration. Senator Murphy, thanks for joining us back on the show again. Uh, You've got some good news for our listeners, I believe. Uh, I've just stepped out of the Senate chamber where we voted to advance uh, a resolution ending U.S. participation in the Yemen war by a big bipartisan majority, 63-37. It's the first time in three years since I started fighting the uh, U.S. involvement in Yemen that we've uh, broken through. Um, This is a preliminary vote. It just allows us to proceed to a debate on the resolution, uh, but it is a watershed moment. It's the first time the Senate has ever uh, moved forward a resolution under the War Powers Act to withdraw us from military activity overseas, and it shows that both Republicans and Democrats are very upset about the status of U.S. relations with Saudi Arabia um, in the wake of the Khashoggi murder, but also in the wake of the increasing humanitarian disaster in Yemen. I don't know what happens after this. This is kind of new Uh, unknown territory for the Senate to be in an open-ended debate on a war powers resolution. But um, I'm really proud of of my colleagues for being willing to jump into this breach, given the the seriousness of what's happening right now with the way the administration has bizarrely bear-hugged the Saudis. 
And 49, all 49 Democrats voted for this. You also got 14 Republicans. Did you ever think you'd get 14 Republicans? Well, we last spoke a couple of months ago. I bet you didn't think you'd get 14 Republicans onto a vote like this. Certainly not. Um, a lot of credit to Bob Corker, who came out this morning uh, in support of this resolution. The chair now, of the Foreign Relations Committee. The chair of the Foreign Relations Committee, and a lot of members listened to him. Uh, uh, Lindsey Graham joined us today. He's been the preeminent defender of the Saudis over the course of the last five years, and he was um, with us today on the resolution. So we had some real high-profile, thoughtful Republicans on foreign policy join us. Now, it doesn't mean that they'll be there with us in the end, yeah. but they wanted to send a message and some many of their colleagues followed. And uh, so in practical terms, for our listeners at home who don't follow all the procedures of the Senate, how close are we to the Senate actually voting to say we want this war done and over and the US yeah, out of it? Yeah, great, great, great question. So uh, we have one more procedural motion uh, and then we are in the middle of a debate. Uh, the debate, though, uh, has unlimited amendments, and all the amendments are at a 50-vote threshold, not a 60-vote threshold. Uh, and so if we do get to an actual debate, um, it could be long. It could be torturous. We could end up having debates uh, having nothing to do with foreign policy. Um, mm. So it, this, is a, this is a long way until the Senate votes uh, on actually withdrawing the U.S. support from Yemen. I think what Senator Corker and Senator Graham are hoping for is that the leverage of this vote will cause the administration to change their policy. And I don't know exactly what that means. Perhaps it's a push for a ceasefire. Perhaps it's additional sanctions. Uh, I think many Republicans who voted for it today are hoping that over the weekend, the administration takes some steps uh, to change policy visa uh, Saudi Arabia um, so that Congress doesn't have to do it for them. And of course, if this bill passes through the Senate and then through a Democratic House next year, Trump can still veto it as the president. Absolutely. And so you're a long way from this, you know, really becoming law. But uh, again, this is a seminal break with Saudi Arabia. This is Republicans and Democrats rebuking uh, both the current Saudi regime, but also this administration's policy towards Saudi Arabia. Um, that is going to have reverberations all around the globe. Uh, and I don't think today, literally an hour from the vote, we can fully understand you know, what the, the impact of this vote is. Well, just on that, on the impact before we finish, I know you're in a rush. What do you think the reaction in Riyadh tonight will be? Well, I think they've got to, you know, continue to think whether it's in their best interests to have Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, as their front man uh, for the long term. Uh, he is responsible for this seismic break with the United States Senate. Lindsey Graham, in particular, has been very clear that so long as Mohammed bin Salman is running foreign policy for Saudi Arabia, um, he is going to be unable to reconcile with the kingdom. Uh, and I think many Republicans and Democrats believe the same thing. Um, this is a Saudi foreign policy that has simply gone off the rails. Uh, and I think Congress is saying, maybe not explicitly, but I think Congress is saying um, that if you don't think about new leadership, um, you may have a permanent problem with the United States Congress. Just to be clear, you want to see different leadership in Saudi Arabia, not MBS in charge. I, I do. I think, you know, between the kidnapping of the Lebanese prime minister, the blockade of Qatar, the uh, the, the humanitarian nightmare inside Yemen, the, the, the continued um, rendition of political opponents, um, we we need we need uh, new people to deal with there. And, and, and I think that that's a message that is being sent. And very last question, I promise. 
whether this war stops anytime soon or still drags on, the fact is that the Yemen war will be a stain on America's reputation for many years to come. Is that fair to say? Uh, absolutely. I mean, you're talking about 85,000 kids who have died from starvation and disease and the Americans own responsibility for for part of every single one of those deaths. Um, uh, every single life matters. And so the quicker we get out of this war, the better. If the Saudis want to continue um, this bombing campaign, if they want to continue these atrocities, then they should do it without U.S. support. We have no obligation to back our allies play when they have gone off the rails as they have in Saudi Arabia in, in Yemen. And hopefully we are closer uh, to getting us out of this nightmare. Senator Chris Murphy, thanks for joining me again on Deconstructed. Keep fighting the good fight on Yemen. Appreciate it. Thanks for focusing on this. That was Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut. Joining me now to give us a Yemeni perspective and explain what's happening on the ground uh, in a country that's being bombarded and besieged is Shireen al-Adimi, who's an anti-war activist born in Yemen, now living in the US, who started a petition to end American involvement in this conflict more than three years ago. She's currently an assistant professor at Michigan State University and joins me now. Shireen, thanks for joining me on Deconstructed. Uh, What's your reaction to this vote in the Senate? Well, to be honest, it's the first uh, real victory for those of us who've been campaigning Congress to end the U.S.'s war in Yemen for the last nearly four years now. Uh, It's uh, an initial step that allows the Senate to actually debate this issue and to vote on this issue in a bill um, that Senator Sanders had had tried to introduce um, earlier this year, but it was tabled. So for the first time, Senate has actually allowed this bill to be even discussed in the Senate, which is, uh, I think, an important uh, shift. And so I'm excited that this is finally going to be able to take place. And you, you're teaching now at Michigan State, but you, when you were a doctoral student at Harvard back in, what, 2015, uh, around the time that the Saudi bombing uh, began, I think it began in March 2015. And late in 2015 at Harvard, you launched a petition calling on the US Congress back then when no one was really talking about Yemen to try and end US support for Saudi-led airstrikes on Yemen. Right. This is the first thing I did was try to figure out, well, is the U.S. involved in the war in Yemen and to what extent is it involved? And I quickly realized that the U.S. was heavily involved in the war. They were refueling Saudi jets midair. Of course, we know about the weapon contract. This was under the Obama administration. Trump hasn't really changed anything in the way the U.S. administration has been dealing with the Saudis in Yemen. Um, The Obama administration back then was training Saudi soldiers, providing them with intelligence, helping with the bombing uh, with, you know, mid-air refueling, like I mentioned. And so since the beginning, the U.S. has been involved and have been trying to get the American public, you know, informed about that, but also petition uh, my senator at the time, uh, Senator Warren, to bring about an end to this U.S. involvement. I didn't think it was going to take this long for, for, for Congress to finally do something that would allow this debate to even happen. But Uh, I'm glad that we're finally here. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I mean, Senator Warren recently, Elizabeth Warren has been very outspoken on Saudi Arabia, on Yemen. She's been writing about ending U.S. involvement. But back in 2015, she wasn't, as were most U.S. senators weren't uh, really interested in this subject. Um, Did you think in 2015, you know, three years later, more than three years later, we'll still be kind of arguing about procedural votes in the Senate rather than just saying this is a monstrosity, this is a horror and the U.S. should have nothing to do with it? 
absolutely not. I was surprised. The first letter I received back from Senator Warren in 2015, by then the war had already been going on for six months, and people were saying that in the five months of the war, Yemen in five months is worse than Syria in five years. So right from the beginning, the outcome was disastrous in Yemen. It was already the world's worst humanitarian crisis by 2016. So I didn't expect that we'd still be sitting here, like you said, debating procedures. Um, I thought that right away people... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In the Senate um, and in, in Congress, um, would take on this issue and be very vocal against it. But at the time, you know, the language was, well, we want to help our Saudi allies and we want to, you know, we don't want to be supporting Iran in the region or having Iran anything expand its uh, support or its influence in the region. And so uh, I think it's unfortunate that it took, um, you know, at least the death of 85,000 children who've starved to death so far in Yemen, according to Save the Children. And uh, the killing of at least at least 57,000 people have now been killed. I know that the numbers are going to be much more horrific once the death settles and people are actually able to tally the numbers. Um, and we have a country that's gone into complete collapse and chaos. Uh, the, you know, 14 million people, which is over half the population of Yemen, is on the brink of starvation. Um, I'm, I'm shocked that, you know, we've allowed it to get to this point before saying we really should not be involved in this war. We really should not be, we should not have any kind of uh, role in, in, yeah. in complicity in this, in this disaster. The political and media classes come very late to this conflict and uh, the killing of Jamal Khashoggi, the Saudi journalist in Istanbul in the Saudi consulate, uh, has definitely helped in its own ironic, tragic way. His death actually sparked uh, a reassessment of what Saudi Arabia is doing in the region, uh, has led people to start talking much more about Yemen than they ever did before. Um, you were born in Aden, the southern port city that's been the scene of a lot of fighting over the last few years. Yeah. How did you end up, uh, how did you as, a, as someone born in Yemen, born in Aden, end up, you're now uh, teaching at Michigan State University. How, tell us your story. How did you get here? Uh, I was born in Yemen. I uh, grew up, um, I spent half my childhood in Yemen, half my childhood in India. I lived through the civil war of 94, where northern Yemen uh, basically attacked south Yemen for wanting to secede south Yemen with the capital being Aden, is still trying to secede from the north after all these years. There's still a lot of bitter resentments among Yemenis, you know, north and south. Uh, but I think having lived through war myself, you know, uh, for the first war, I was too young to remember, but I definitely felt the effects of it. And then the second, I was, uh, you know, uh, much older and, and remember the horror of living through a war. Um, you just never want to see that again anywhere. And um, you don't want to ever advocate for any foreign intervention because that always makes things much worse. The civil war in Yemen can no longer really be called a civil war, given how much foreign involvement there is. 
but my family had moved to Canada after shortly after that, and um, I'm, I'm, I've been living in the U.S. here for for about ten years now. And you obviously, I'm assuming, still have a lot of family back home in Yemen. Um, yeah. What are they telling you about what life is like on the ground there for the past what nearly four years now? Uh, well, it's it's really horrific. Um, Again, people who have family abroad are, are doing better than most because at least they can rely on us to to help them through you know losses uh, loss of income loss of uh, businesses and whatnot. Um, but people are trapped. You know, you don't hear about a Yemeni refugee crisis because there's really nowhere to go. Borders are closed. There's a blockade, and um, mostly people are stuck in the country. They're displaced. I've had family members who've been whose homes were bombed. I've had uh, family members who've been injured and uh, and worse. And so um, they say that they're really not sure how much longer they can really hold on. Um, you know, what if uh, the, the the coalition is attacking the port city of Hadeda, which feeds 70% of Yemen, if uh, they go through with that, and if they're succeeding, if they succeed to block that port, then the country starves. And um, no matter how much money we send, they won't be able to buy anything with that money. Um, the currency has, of course, tanked uh, before the war. The, one dollar was one U.S. dollar was 250 rials. Now it's over um, 700 rials, and so people are barely surviving. Yeah, GDP has been wiped out. Unemployment is right. at record levels. Uh, it's horrific on so many levels: economic, political, social. Uh, do you think Saudi Arabia, which is leading this coalition, which has been bombing Yemen for more than three years now, blockading, besieging this country, um, do you think it's going to pay any attention to this U.S. Senate vote this week? Well, Mohammed bin Salman has just been doing whatever he wants to do in Yemen with complete impunity. Um, I think he was surprised and expressed his uh, shock that people were, you know, um, questioning his um, order, the order to murder Khashoggi, because he's just been operating in Yemen with impunity. You know, the lives of 27 million people have been at his hands and nobody's really been questioning him. In fact, they've been helping him. Um so I'm not sure how uh, how Saudi will react. I thought it was interesting that a couple of weeks ago when the U.S. announced that it would stop mid-air refueling of Saudi jets, um, Saudi Arabia was quick to release a statement saying, oh, we asked them to stop refueling our jets because we're now capable of doing that. Um, and so I, I'm not sure how, you know, they might just say, well, we don't really need the U.S. Um, we can do this on our own. Although, although some would argue that they can't do it on their own, they're too reliant on U.S. and British uh, arms, intelligence, assistance, refueling, as you say. Right. They don't manufacture their own weapons. They don't train their own soldiers. And the army has been very transparent about how they've been helping the South. Which is what makes the U.S. and the U.K. so complicit in this war. It's not just something that, you know, it's often described as, you know, U.S. support for a Saudi-led war. But it is actually a U.S.-Saudi war in the sense that U.S. bombs are dropping on Yemeni people with U.S. support. Given March 2019 will be four years since the Saudi bombing, the U.S. slash Saudi bombing campaign began. Are you optimistic, pessimistic after the events of this week and recent months that at least by the fourth anniversary of this horrific war, the U.S. won't be involved in it anymore? I am cautiously optimistic. I feel like we've had a lot of optimism in the past and we thought, of course, they'll vote to end this war and then nothing has happened. And, you know, war powers get stripped and, you know, bills get stripped of their privileged status in, in the House and in the Senate. Um, and so I'm, 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 I'm a bit optimistic, but I don't want to be too optimistic right now. Uh, I hope that by the end, by the four-year mark, the U.S. is no longer involved, which means that the Saudis can't continue to wage this war much longer. They and the Emiratis rely heavily on U.S. support. And I hope that the U.K. follows um, after, after this, uh, if this goes through and that if the U.S. is no longer involved, I hope that the 
UK follows through with that. As a Brit, I 100% agree with you. Shireen Aladimi will have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining me on Deconstructed. Thanks so much for having me, Matthew. That was Shireen Al-Adimi, Yemeni-Canadian activist and academic. Joining me now to talk about where we go from here and the politics of this Senate vote is my Intercept colleague Alex Emmons, national security reporter who's been covering the war in Yemen and the US role in that war for the past nearly three years. Um, Alex, in your view, how big a deal is this Senate vote? I think it's significant. I think it's worth reflecting on the fact that such an all-or-nothing anti-war measure uh, could succeed in a Republican Congress. Uh, And I think, by and large, the reason for that is that so many people are desperate to hold Saudi Arabia accountable for what is an increasingly interventionist foreign policy and, and increasingly often overt crimes, you know, most recently with the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. And how much did the brutal murder of Saudi journalists Jamal Khashoggi, which became a global story, a global outrage back in October. How much did that lead to this vote on Wednesday? I think it it catalyzed the conversation about Yemen in a way that no no other specific crime in Yemen has. Um, I mean, just based on my conversations with with members of Congress, I think that there are a whole range of things that the Trump administration could do to give MBS a light slap on the wrist for this. And that would have probably satisfied a lot of moderate uh, Democrats and moderate Republicans. Um, But the fact that the Trump administration has been so unwilling to do anything to hold the Saudis accountable uh, makes Congress feel like they have to step in. And it's making a lot of moderates feel like their only option is to vote for the Bernie Sanders bill. Yeah, it's amazing. It's yet another walk of uh, political life where Donald Trump and his administration have kind of radicalized the Democrats and pushed them further to the left than they would otherwise have been. Because this war was raging on under Obama, too. And we didn't see all these Senate Democrats, you know, 49 Senate Democrats, all of them voted this week for this bill. I don't think that would have happened under a Barack Obama president. I need to look at the final vote count, but I, it's it's a few Republicans too. 14 I mean, that's, Republicans. That's how overt it's become. 14 yeah. Republicans amazingly switched. As I said to Chris Murphy earlier on in the show, uh, I don't think he would have ever thought that 14 Republicans would switch, such as the politics of Saudi Arabia now in this town, in mm-hmm. Washington, uh, D.C. Um, what does the administration do now? Because the administration... Correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, has never, the Trump administration and the Obama administration before it has never accepted the premise of any of these bills that the U.S. is military involved in the Yemen war. Am I right in saying that? Right. So what this bill does uh, is it essentially invokes the 1973 War Powers Resolution, which is a, a almost 50-year-old bit of legislation that was passed in the wake of unauthorized bombings in Cambodia and Laos by Richard Nixon. Um, and it invokes that re- resolution and it says, uh, look, I... Uh, President Trump, we are directing you to get out of hostilities against Houthi rebels in Yemen. Um, and, and you're exactly right. The Neither administration has really accepted the premise that the U.S. is involved in hostilities to begin with because the U.S. is supporting the Saudi coalition uh, with intelligence, with weapons, uh, with logistical support, mid-air refueling. But it's not actually the one pulling the trigger and dropping the bombs. Uh, so it's Which is argument. such a disingenuous argument. It's certainly involved in hostilities, I'll you know, put it that way. I mean, imagine in everyday life if you were going off to massacre a bunch of people and I gave you the petrol for your car and the bullets for your gun and gave you directions to the site of the massacre. 
I would be complicit in that massacre. Right. In an everyday sense, we think of that as being involved in hostilities. But the funny thing is that actually throughout the War Powers Resolution, almost it's almost 50 years of history, many administrations have tried to water it down by sort of making the the term uh, hostilities uh, dressed up in a lot of legalese. Didn't the Obama administration during the NATO bombing campaign in Libya, which of course the US military was heavily, predominantly involved in, didn't they also push back against the War Powers Resolution back then as well? Right. And uh, and when Clinton was involved in, in Yugoslavia, and essentially their argument was, look, we are dropping bombs, but we are not on the receiving end of any fire. These uh, These groups cannot fire back at us, therefore we're not involved in mutual hostilities. So these are the types that of... Is, that is as hilarious as it is depressing. This is the type of disingenuous legalese that's been used to try and evade this form of uh, congressional interference. And, and, and just on the legal angle, Donald Trump, for this to become law, of course, the president has to sign it into law. It hasn't yet passed the Senate, though we hope it will. It might then pass a Democratic-led House next year. Mm-hmm. It's failed in the House before this same resolution under Paul Ryan and the Republicans, who shamelessly have blocked it at every turn. But Donald Trump, he's not going to sign this, is he? I don't know. It would be a very politically costly veto. Um, we'll see what happens. We will see what happens. One last question to you for the people listening at home who you know want to do something about this, want to keep applying pressure. You've been covering this conflict since the start of 2016, I think. Um, Saudi Arabia started bombing with its allies at the start of 2015, in March 2015. This is a war that's approaching its fourth anniversary in terms of the Saudi bombing campaign. How much have you seen public opinion shift and how much have you seen public pressure actually work in getting politicians to take this war seriously? I've been talking to a lot of members about uh, members of Congress recently about this. And one of the things I've consistently heard is that what's really changed the dynamic on the Yemen issue on Capitol Hill is the fact that when members go home, they have to answer questions about this issue at town halls. It's become something that that at least enough constituents know about that they're going to apply pressure to a lot of their members wow, of Congress. Wow, a foreign policy yeah. issue which doesn't normally right. break and through it's in about, that way. Right, and it's about a, a small country, um, literally halfway around the world, um, that has become this sort of hot hot button issue on, on how we see the U.S.'s role uh, in the world uh, in terms of fighting various conflicts. I know that in my three years covering the war, at the beginning, it was kind of a struggle to communicate even what was the U.S. role. New York Times, uh, CNN, all those outlets would cover the bad bombings, but they would never mention that the weapons came from the U.S. Now people are starting to understand that. They're starting to communicate that, and they're really starting to put pressure on their members of Congress to demand a change to that. Well, we can only hope that pressure continues to be applied and has a successful outcome. Alex, thanks for coming on Deconstructed. Thanks for having me. That was my colleague at The Intercept, Alex Emmons. And both he and Senator Chris Murphy are right to say that there's still a way to go, though this is a very positive step by the US Senate this week. We should be cautiously optimistic, as Shireen said, but we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves either. As you listen to this podcast, wherever in the world you are, think about the people in Yemen, because they're still being bombed. They're still being blockaded. We might be a step closer to ending the war, but it's a war that's very much ongoing today. The UN says Yemen looks like the apocalypse. That's how bad things are. And if you're an American or a Brit listening to this, your government is complicit in this war, complicit in creating the world's worst humanitarian catastrophe. So we have to keep up the pressure on our governments to end this damn thing, to prevent more and more Amal Husseins, more and more innocent Yemeni kids from losing their lives. It isn't going to be easy to stop this war, to get Trump out of bed with the Saudis. 
It's only going to get more intense and require more effort on all of our parts to keep Yemen in the news, to keep Yemen in the minds of our politicians. To borrow a line from Winston Churchill, of all people, this is not the end, it's not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. That's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept and is distributed by Panoply. Our producer is Zach Young. Dina Sayed Ahmed is our production assistant. The show was mixed by Brian Pugh. Lital Molard is our executive producer. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Mehdi Hassan. You can follow me on Twitter at Mehdi R. Hassan. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. Go to theintercept.com forward slash deconstructed to subscribe from your podcast platform of choice iphone android whatever if you're subscribed already please do leave us a rating or review it helps people find the show and if you want to give us feedback email us at podcasts at theintercept.com thanks so much see you next week hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.